The experience of being human has many universal qualities that make it easier to learn together than apart. The purpose of Emotional Warrior Radio is to bring the learning processes one goes through in talk therapy out into the world, so everyone has the opportunity to grow from the experience. Come and join us on this journey. We open the season of Emotional Warrior Radio with a very special guest who has volunteered to take this journey with us by sharing her therapeutic process with our community. In the next few episodes, we will explore her relationship with her mother and the need she has to set boundaries with her, as well as what it's like to be a mom in a blended family. And there will be a few surprises along the way. I believe that most of us will be able to relate to her struggles with her mother and we'll learn a lot about how deep this connection goes within our own minds, as well as how to start deconstructing any issues we have with self-worth or agency that are being blocked from us working on them due to this connection. And then communicate effectively with our parents due to this inner work. Lastly, this is my first episode too, and I found myself being more candid and forthcoming with our guests because not only is she easy to talk to, but I know you're listening to this process to learn. So I found myself breaking out into teaching moments from time to time a little more often than I would in a session. So I do hope that you enjoy this variation on an in-session episode and follow along with us in this journey. And I will see you again after the session. You can start anywhere that you feel is most relevant to you and then we'll work backwards. Or you can start with me asking questions about the history. That's actually where you get to choose. Would you like to dive in with a situation that's kind of experienced near mm -hmm. or have me get you talking about the past and that will help you? Um, I do have certain things that have come up recently in my life. Um, but uh, like I said, I didn't necessarily have a plan in place for what we should talk about or how things would go. So I'm also fully prepared to start, you know, at the beginning or, you know, in childhood or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Well, then absolutely. Let's do what is happening now, like things that have been happening more recently mm -hmm. and let's see how those things are tied back. Mm hmm you know, seeing how it connects from the present is actually kind of the peeling back the layers or looking at the patterns type of um, experience. It makes more sense that yeah. way. Yeah. And it's actually progressed more, um, not so, in, so much in regards to uh, my mother, but in regards to my parenting um, since I last spoke to you, <laughs> because um, three or four days ago, I found out that I was pregnant. Oh my goodness. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Right. <laughs> perfect timing I know I know I was like oh my goodness well let's just sort it all out now you know <laughs> good timing yes this is exactly that you're gonna and, and I, I won't you know go too much into motherhood but the time the the prenatal phase is one where all sorts of different feelings and experiences about the baby and you it's, it's a very uh, powerful experience. It's profound. And so this is a good time to start to take in new information and do that introspection. Be very creative during this time. Is it very creative? For time? sure. I actually just had a dream last night that I was painting. So I'm, I'm thinking okay. maybe my plan is to do something really creative that doesn't have to be produced into the world. Something that I can just create for the sake of creation almost, you know, every day or every few days. Yeah. I, 
completely encourage that. That's been a good experience. I'll vouch for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I have been kind of avoiding my mother. I haven't told, I mean, I've told my best friend and uh, my partner's best friend, <laughs> and that's mm -hmm. about it because I still need to, you know, see the OBGYN and, and get things more solidified before we actually speak to our families. Um, so I, I've kind of been avoiding my mother mm -hmm. and most of my family recently. Um, and I don't think they've been very, they haven't really contacted me very much recently either. Um, but probably because they were just here at the beginning of the year and, um, my mother stayed for, uh, I want to say it was like 10 days. Right. Um, and then a, a lot of her rhetoric has been around how she's going to move to where I am in my city. And, um, she'll send me houses and ask me if the neighborhoods are nice. And I'm like, is this for me and my new family or is this for you? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's definitely her trying to, um, be as close proximity to me as possible. Right. So maybe you can talk the, the first story to dive into was, um, yeah, that time that she stayed for 10 days. Mm -hmm. What, yeah, and I'm a little more looking for the dynamic between you and her uh, and how that played out. 10 days is a long time, you know, um, to, to host mom. So, you know, maybe you can tell me a little bit about that part first and how it unfolded for both of you. Yeah, um, it, it was pretty good at first. Um, I expected them to stay a little bit longer than uh, than everyone else. My brother came as well, and they were here for like the weekend. And mm -hmm. my mom just kind of does that. She will stay longer if she can. Uh, her, her entire business at this point is mobile. She has her own business out of her house. Um, she runs a publishing company. So she's, you know, taken that on the road with her because she wants to visit me or my brother or my grandfather and um she'll end up staying as long as humanly possible <laughs> uh if if you let her you know so um she came in and we did new year's together as a family and that was it was lovely it was really nice we ended up watching her dog at our house while they had an airbnb because they couldn't take the dog with them and she didn't let us know beforehand. So suddenly new year's with all the fireworks and watching this dog that, you know, is terrified <laughs> for the next, I think it was three days. We watched her dog with no, you know, beforehand knowledge that that was ever going to happen. Um, and they, they stayed nearby, but you know, a little downtown. So it was, it was nice that, uh, after new year's, after my brother had left, they were, you know, in their own room, Mm -hmm. um, and could work there when they needed to. So it wasn't entirely overwhelming. Like it had, has been in the past. Um, but I, I, yeah, but I think that that's the, that's the part that it, it has been in the past. You talk about her a couple of times as overstaying her welcome and, and you do, and you do a little maneuvering around that. Right. A little, yeah. Well, because I, I expected it because my brother was coming, but I already know about her that she would, if you allow it. And so, you know, this is where I think in our thoughts, you know, that that's where we, we can state what we know mm -hmm. and then mask it and then allow it. So there's a way that we jump into complacency mm -hmm. or into the space that is going to most likely be least problematic for mom. And, and then that's, but it wasn't unproblematic for you. And so this is where I want to get you talking just a little bit more mm -hmm. about how it felt 
you know, as far as what experiences you had feeling wise when it came to recognizing that, you know, you weren't really being included in thinking about like, is that going to be an imposition? The, the expectation is there, but they're expecting you to say yes, the dog, like any of these kinds of the, the events that happened that really felt like they caught you off guard or they, they were assumptive. What did that, what did you feel like during those times? Um, mostly like, you know, well, the big one that comes up and probably repeats itself most often is not respected. I am the youngest child in my family. So I feel like I'm not really regarded in that light. Like my, my brother has, you know, a wife and a nice house and I've always been the one on the road. I've always, you know, apartment jumped and I've, you know, I've had more trouble. <laughs> I'm the mm-hmm. trouble one as opposed to him. So yeah. <laughs> Good yeah quote gotcha. gotcha. <laughs> um, So, yeah, I do. I feel uh, I don't have like a certain amount of respect from either of my parents, really, or from many people in my family. Um, They tend to make um, make assumptions or um, that, you know, mother knows best kind of thing. Well, I made the decision and you're going to go along with it because it's better for everyone and you're not capable of making those kind of larger choices. Mm -hmm. So I do feel um, disregarded in that way. And, um, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. I think at this point, I just, I, I tend to like disassociate from those moments. Uh, and I feel like a, like a bad person when I talk about it to other people. Like I, you know, when I first got with my partner in the way I was talking about my mother, he's like, I feel, I, you know, you're not giving your mom enough room or, you know, you, you talk about her in this way. And I, I feel like, you know, it's not very loving and I'm trying my best. (laughs) I'm trying to keep up the social defense. Yeah. (laughs) I'm trying to uphold the mother. Yeah. (laughs) But it's crushing me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. I'm I'm having a weak moment. (laughs) (laughs) And and, uh, so the, I'll come in with, you know, once you experience it, then you'll know Mm -hmm. because she'll step over you as well. Right. Well, you know, that's, that's, what's interesting is that it is that what you're talking about in so many ways is where people connect and, and regard one another, which is on the superficial role level. You talked about right away. So this is more, and I'll explain this a little bit. Is it, this is a little bit more interpretive right now. So I listened to what you said, and now I am going to kind of say what it means right? I put all your words together in a way and kind of synthesize it and the meaning behind what you were saying at a, at a deeper level, because you, you said a lot there, which, you know, all of this was a, you know, a stream of consciousness from asking, how did you feel? You know, and, and really, I think what we don't necessarily come to is we feel, it's hard to talk about, oh, I felt sad. I mean, that doesn't give us a lot of information either, but the description of feeling disrespected, feeling like a role, you are a youngest, uh, mistake-making, unstable. I mean, you had a lot of this, you know, ways of describing how you feel you're seen. Mm-hmm. And I never heard that you felt seen as a person, a human, with experiences that absolutely inform who you are as a person that have everything to do with all the choices that you've made that are probably really interesting you know, deep, thoughtful, whatever it is. It's, it's your appearance, you're a person, you're this, you know, it, but no, no, it's been qualified as apartment hopper. 
No, <laughs> See, that's, that's where, again, I started to say, it's like that just totally dries up any sort of meaning to your experience when somebody just stays as a role or a label. So, and that's, I think, where we come from as well. When, when you, we're saying that right there, when you say disregarded, that's the same probably, you know, feeling for, for being regarded as this way and mom knows best and mom takes care. And, and so, you know, <laughs> as long as everyone stays right there, you're supposed to be fine, right? You're yeah. supposed to be just fine. You just continue to play the good girl role of allowing this and um, dissociate. Mm-hmm. You, you named you named the literal you know, defense for what we have to do emotionally in order to tolerate being treated that way. Even if somebody doesn't mean to or is unconscious of what they're doing because of their pathology or their mental makeup, mm-hmm. right? So. I think that this is the, this is this where we go and we try to keep everything there. And so your boyfriend was basically doing what a lot of people do when I, they come into psychotherapy for the first, you know, while. How the brain is formed from influences of our mother, father, family, social is so confronting that they can't even tolerate talking about talking about their experience, the experiences that formed them that were negative and came from a dynamic in their childhood with their mother or father, just as if talking about it was going to annihilate the bond or shatter the facade, right? Yeah. And then we got to have all these, these thoughts and experiences and emotions in order to come to service. I've done such a good job, lady, you know, keeping myself in this box. Who are you? I want you just to fix this part. I'm like, well, there's no way we can do that. <laughs> we got, it's the whole thing. We got to understand it. And all it is is understanding that people um, have that reaction. So that's kind of a little interpretation, but also an explanation. So as I was talking, what, what was coming to mind for you? Um, oddly enough, uh, something that stuck out to me is um, sometimes my mother will talk in like the baby talk kind of thing. Um, and I think it maybe comes with some of the disrespect. Um, she'll say, you know, I'll, I'll say I was sick last week and she'll say, oh, I wish I had been there so that I could have made you soup. You know, your mommy could do it for you. And she'll put the baby oh, voice wow. on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Literally infantilizing me to my face. <laughs> uh-huh. Right. Well, and that's it. But how do you know what, what feel it now? I kind of want to see that. Why do you think that came up? Because that was an infantilizing moment. Absolutely. But what else are you feeling there? Um, I mean, when those moments happen, there was, there's visceral like dread. There you <laughs> like, <go>. Yeah. <laughs> that, that she might show up. That she might actually show up and make me <laughs> soup when I made my own soup last week when I was sick. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so I, I think there now we have a little bit of a, of a dynamic at play here, right? Where mom seems to want to be uh, ultra nurturing. She wants to continue to play the role of mommy to her adult child. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Call me, call me mommy. That's, <laughs> I'm going to write a book. She has called herself mommy dearest before. Oh, <laughs> red flag. <laughs> <laughs> that's very interesting. Now that, but that's right. But that's that is so telling. I mean, those are those kinds of Freudian slips, right? This joke yeah. about myself that discloses something about me. But 
you know, this is where, I mean, it's good that we're creating kind of that composite and understanding of her. And we're going to be able to use that to start to just kind of let you know where we're going to be able to start to bring her into human form that so you can objectively handle her instead of her being what we're going to explore now, which is kind of shifting into the dynamic of how you see your mom. I want you to talk more about your relationship with her, how you see her yeah your experience of your mother yeah um and in recent years and this came up uh when we were talking earlier um that i didn't want to lose uh, my grandmother who were, we were both really close with passed away at like 74 and that was about six six years ago now and my mother was devastated and I took on a mothering role for my mother, even though my mother, you know, she wants to be, you know, mommy dearest and take care and, and be the nurturer and always empty nesting. Um, when I was back at home with her, a lot of the time, it was me parenting my mother because she was such an emotional uh, wreck. Mm -hmm. And do you, do you notice that I think that that's an important uh, uh, memory and do you notice that as something in the dynamic in general have you felt that you're the youngest too so this might be a little bit more complicated have you felt that you've emotionally needed to take care of your mom before this uh before before my grandmother passed away um yeah probably I feel like when so my parents are divorced um they got divorced when I was eight years old uh I think after that time, and maybe it was my dad's responsibility beforehand, uh, it, it did fall on me and my brother who stayed with my mom to, uh, to be the ones who kind of emotionally took care of her. She would provide the, you know, things and, you know, the housing and the food. And, uh, it did fall on me and my brother, a lot. my brother and my mother had a lot of friction when, you know, he was a teenager and things like that. I moved out as soon as I turned 18 because I wanted to, to, to not feel that weight on me anymore. Um, yeah, she tends to, to lean on whoever is around for emotional dependency. So for that codependent support. Right. Absolutely. And, and in some ways, and I'm not sure about your, how your brother and her, you know, handled that, but did you ever get in the middle of it? How were you interfacing with that? Did you empathize with either brother or, you know, did you have to take sides and all of that? Right. Um, I am the master of not taking sides. Um, and I don't know if that's my role in the family or because I'm a Libra, <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I have always been agreeable to maybe a fault to say, um, I see this point of view, but I also see where this person's coming from. So when I was, when my brother and my mother were really, um, conflicting, when, um, we had moved to like a new town, um, my brother and I lived with my grandmother for a little while, which solidified that relationship better for me and my brother as well. Right. Um, we, uh, you know, we had a lot of friction in the new house because, you know, my brother was a teenager. He wanted, uh, you know, I, I think I was young enough. My brother and I are five years apart. I think I was young mm -hmm. enough at the time that I didn't really understand why they were arguing so much. Yeah. Um, so I didn't know if I was in the middle, I was kind of witnessing it. And then each of them would come to me to feel validated. Right. <laughs> and yeah, I would try to balance like, have you seen this point of view? I, I didn't really, you know, it's not like I could sit with my mother and say, you're not considering a 13 year old's point of view. I, you know, it wasn't really like that, but she would come to me to kind of spill all of her feelings and, mm -hmm. and I would just be the listener. 
for her, you would, yeah, do as much of that. But you know, it's interesting. I think this is where I call, you know, there's a, there is an emotional role you played for sure. Um, and you, you're the validator. And because you have an, you know, an equanimity, you have a, a balance about you. Um, it, it is in your character, you know, in your temperament. You're not um, someone who seems to, to really want to take up arms, right? And say, <laughs> you know, I want to, you know, no, you're just, you're kind of like, I'm going to get through this. And this is, you know, right. And your understanding even of yourself is, is uh, very realistic that you were younger, but still you developed something that's really important. Um, during this time and this is where the negative also lends to why why I call all of this emotional warrior because I stuff is because I think that through um, difficult situations that we were put in that we emotionally were able to like navigate again and again become more of a superpower and yes they can be exploited uh, and that's why we need to recognize them and and get our energy back from that time you know and be able to say oh wow I mean I'm a great listener I have the ability to empathize uh, and, and validate, right? These are all really powerful things to be able to do in communication. However, if you don't have internal boundaries that knows how to do that without absorbing it, then we, we start to feel drained. We start to feel, right? So that's something I, I wonder if you can relate to. For sure. Um, and I think as you know, I'm in my thirties now, I've gotten really good at setting up boundaries in my adult life where I did, I definitely didn't have them in my twenties. I, mm -hmm. I was more of a carpet. You know, I let people walk over me. I was very non-confrontational and, you know, people took advantage of me in that regard. And now that I'm in my thirties, I recognize, um, how much more respect I get when I do actually put my boundaries up with other people. And mm -hmm. this is, I mean, the reason I wanted to speak to you is because the one person in my life that it's still not um I, I still haven't been able to put that barrier up with is my mother mm -hmm. right and as you say that and you feel emotional right and I wonder what comes to mind when you even speak those words of putting a barrier you didn't say boundary mm -hmm. just to be really clear because that's an important indicator that something shifted mm -hmm. so what does um, that mean? Yeah, um, I would say, you know, maybe an unconscious word, say barrier, but um, I've, I've moved around sometimes to uh, get away from my mother. Mm -hmm. um, I do think there needs to be like a physical boundary there. Right. So now I'm starting to understand why her sending these listings of houses close to yours is so difficult. Yeah, very triggering. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, very triggering. The, but I, I also feel like you have a, a moment here now just to relax into this space and wonder, you know, and I need to know in order to, be able to help you more when you're ready as far as, you know, why movement away from her and being as clear, you know, with yourself as you can. Yeah, um, that's not something that I've really thought of as to why. It just seemed a necessity. To um, to get out from under the the weight of of carrying her emotions. Mm -hmm. um, and what kind of emotions does she ask you to carry? When do you imagine, or what? I mean, what are you experiencing? Um, my mother is definitely the person who will tell you all of her woes 
it's hard pressed to have a conversation with her where she's not just telling you everything that's wrong with her life. Um, anything that could be happening with her body, if she's having aches and pains, um, what went wrong at the uh, grocery store, you know, who pulled out in front of her on her way home. That seems to be the only kind of conversation that she'll have with you. Um, So it becomes, it's just heavy because I don't even know how to redirect it or deflect it. And I have tried in the past, to kind of bring a more positive attitude and, you know, if maybe showing by example, if I'm being more positive, then she'll come with me. And she has in small ways. I think she's noticed it. And I've been more, um, I guess in my family's eyes, more abrupt at just saying what I'm feeling (laughs) because my family doesn't really talk about how they're feeling. Um, and, uh, it's become, it's almost like a a joke in my family. Now. Um, I told my brother something, um, that was bothering me that he was doing. I just, I sent him a text message and said, "I, I don't like when you do this. And my mother's explanation to him, he was like, what's that about? And my mother said, Oh, you know how she gets, (laughs) Mm. When she when she speaks up like this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You know how she gets when she's expressing her feelings. (laughs) (laughs) Must be that time of the month. Um, right. All of those kinds of, it's it's the same type of thing. Like there's something about you. It's just that thing. Uh, disregard it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Again, it, it comes down to that respect that, you know, I'm, I'm lower on the chain of whatever family hierarchy, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and you definitely are explaining an experience of being your mother's emotional container. She's the head of household. She brings in resources. She's taken up um, more of a, a position of provider, um, but she's still a woman. With you know, and it's like, and I want to like I like to talk about men as having a huge emotional range that has been you know repressed by society often, okay. right? But in, in women, you know, when they fall into this role of masculine, you know, being the provider, can you know? I'm, and I'm not trying to say that this is what's happened with her, but th- this isn't uncommon for a, a woman that has taken head of household type of responsibility to not be you know emotionally adept at you know nurturing in a way like emotionally intelligent way like being mother mm-hmm. and you can see that she's still pretty regressed as far as her mothering ability is concerned if she needs to you know talk to you in baby language and say she's going to come and she wants to fix your soup she wants to still do kind of the infant toddler stage type of caregiving and that's you know a lot of times a place where some folks are very comfortable and we'll even have lots of babies in order to stay there mm-hmm. <laughs> right? a, but that's that's something in and of itself that there's this whole what i call emotional development gap right that you have actually been emotionally developing and maturing uh, regardless of her inability to help you along that journey however because of who she is and her relationship with you her obviously still you know being a provider or being somebody that again is trying to supplement possibly some of this lack of emotional connection with things the stuff Mm-hmm. Right. That is difficult because in your mind that becomes love. And so it's, a, it's, it's how do I set a boundary or up with somebody that it's not even about that for them. It's about the things, you know, so you're not, you don't even communicate you know, in that way when we're really thinking about this. So it's, it's like, you know, apples and oranges are trying to talk to somebody, but they're, 
really not on the same wavelength as far as understanding that exchange. It's very transactional for her. And she wants to just play a role. And, and the consequence has been for quite a long time, you've been the container and you're really talking about for her experience. Yeah, my mother will often say we're all um, characters in a novel that she's going to write one day. Oh, <laughs> these are all super big red flags. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and and that's and that's her that, that grandiosity, you know that that she is the, the main character and everyone is revolving around her. Mm-hmm. You know, she's writing the book. You're all characters in it, and how can she play you today? Um, and understanding how all the characters work and can manipulate them in certain ways. And, and even to the statements like that, I think it's, it's interesting. How do you react? How do you react to she, when she says like, kind of like, oh, this is kind of a side note, but like off putting, she sounds like somebody grandiose now enough to say things that are like, wow, did you just say that? Um, yeah, she does. <laughs> She'll tend to have those moments. Um, I mean, my family, we, we might not talk about our emotions a lot, but we're, you know, we joke around a lot. So sometimes that the jokes at the dinner table will definitely push the envelope and we'll all sort of do that. Um, uh, but yeah, my mother will say things and I, I'm not, I don't usually, um, I'm not surprised by much. My, my parents were hippies, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but I'll see my brother, um, just kind of be like, why would you say that in front of me? You know, those moments. Oh, interesting. Brother seems to have, and, and brother was more argumentative. He seems to have more of a, uh, an alert system <laughs> for sure. letting, letting that person know when they cross the boundary. Yeah. Yeah. I guess he does in a way. Um, everybody thinks of, you know, they kind of just say, well, he's just kind of a prude. (laughs) Here we go again. (laughs) Right. Another label. Yeah. Right. Saying just as well. Anytime Mm -hmm. you hear that word just, I can like, what What are you trying to gloss over? Um, just a hint. But I, I think that that's the, that's where in this dynamic you're again, you're, you're smoothing things over, you know, you're, you're easy because, and this, this is what has, again, it's a both, it's positive, but in this regard, once, you know, it's fine, parents and hippies have a lot of experiences and that's cool. And this is cool. And then we can have other experiences, but, um, you know, that stem from that kind of fluidity and non-judgmentalness. However, when we're adults and this person still can press the regression button, we can see that there's something going on at a deeper level that still she's connected to something that's, that's beyond the positives of some of that, right? And using the positives to not look at this part, um, I think is important to, to note. Yeah. Right? Um, you, had, you had talked about um, the, the gap yeah. Um, and immediately it brought up uh, thoughts for me of um, when I did leave the house and I kind of traveled around um, just trying to <laughs> like grasping at being an adult in any way possible from the time I was 18. Um, it, uh, it kind of has a new light recently for me. I, I think I realized when Um, you know, I'm in a a stable relationship now. I'm in a good relationship. I've had, you know, poor ones that reflected on, you know, 
um, my codependency, you know, that I learned growing up that I had with other people, you know, I ended a 10 year relationship that wow. was incredibly codependent in my entire twenties. I spent doing that. And I finally, you know, worked on my own stuff enough to, to say, now I'm in a, a good relationship with somebody that, you know, where we have a family together and it, it feels a lot more healthy. Um, when my parents came to visit in that situation, my, my mother's visited my father and his wife, they visited. And, um, and I, I feel a clarity now on that kind of, um, disrespectful feeling that I get from everybody is that is the gap. I grew up, uh, you know, in my travels and kind mm -hmm. of trying to be away. Um, and I realized that no, they don't know me anymore. They know mm -hmm. who I was as a teenager and, you know, the more chaotic version of myself that didn't have the physical stability. Um, but they don't know who I am anymore. Like I was on the phone with my father the other day and I was telling our kid, you know, Hey, will you hang on? I'm on the phone, you know? And uh, my dad just said, you sound so motherly. <laughs> like he was shocked. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I am. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I do every day. <laughs> that's right. But that's, I think that this is a great phenomenon to kind of, again, like put into at least a conceptual term. I call this because I've worked with adults and their adult children, parents and their adult children. That I said, when I got working with them, I noticed that they had a map in their mind, which is like a Daniel Siegel kind of term, of their child that needed to be updated. It needs to be updated every few months, most likely, <laughs> I mean, depending on what developmental stage that they're at. And then, and then if it, not only are they probably not updating their own mental models, but they're not doing that for their kiddos, and that makes for a lot of conflict. And not recognizing again, right? Like, wait a second. How are you saying something that shows me you don't really know where I'm at, who I am? That, that it conveys that you don't see me, that you just remember me, right? Exactly. That, that, right. That that's that's this phenomenon, and that you did have space to grow out of this dynamic, out of this like family. You grew out of it, and now you've learned a lot. I want to uh, just acknowledge leaving a codependent relationship for 10 years is about as soft as leaving a narcissistic relationship, right? That's incredible. I'm sure that that took a lot. That's yeah. Thank you. Um, it did. It was, it, I mean, it was like getting divorced, you know, we were, Absolutely. I mean, besides the finances, everything we had was, we had the same, well, we did have the same bank account. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Um, I, I realized one day that I couldn't, um, make someone happy. And I mean, I guess I could reflect that onto my relationship with my mother because so much in the relationship was very reflective of mine, uh, with my mother. And I wouldn't be surprised if my ex was a narcissist. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and to touch on that, the mom is sounding like a blend where there are, you know, the grandiose tendencies, but that's mixed with this codependent need for, you know, to take care and to have worth through others and relationships and things like that. So there's these, there's this composite again of, of those two tendencies. And I'm sure that, and that's in some ways too, why I brought it back up. You recognized something. Mom is constantly complaining, never happy, but you recognize with this man, I can't, fix you, make you happy, change you, you see me. And what, what did you come to understand about that relationship? Did you, did you find that you were trying to be seen in that regard? Because codependency sometimes also 
you're, you're trying to be seen in a certain light. You're, they're, you're looking for them to redeem something that wasn't able to be redeemed in your parent relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I don't, I don't really know what I was seeking from this person except, well, I mean, maybe just a, a unconditional love yeah. that I've been searching for. Um, and you know, he was hyper-focused on his life and granted there were, you know, plenty of horrible things that he went through as well during our relationship, um, that were really heavy and big in his life. And, um, it, it got to a point where like, I, I couldn't sit, I, I put it as I couldn't drown with him anymore because I did feel like we were getting, we were both getting sucked into what I call the depression pit. Yeah. <laughs> we were both getting dragged into his depression pit. And, you know, I was, I, I was doing everything I could to um, have relationships outside of my relationship. So having like, you know, co coworkers and having relationships with people at work that, you know, were positive and um, just trying to better myself in small ways and whatever ways I could, I ended up getting a really great job uh, mm -hmm. with some really nice people. And I felt very, you know, good about myself. Like it was a very adult, you know, career move for me. And I couldn't sustain that and the relationship at the same time. And as much as, you know, in the past, I would have said, well, I'll throw everything away for you. It just hit me one day that I, there's no sense for me to throw away my whole life for us to sit and, you know, drown in this apartment together. Mm -hmm. And, and such a, such an amazing, uh, again, I don't know if you realize it, but just kind of disclosure, um, but I think there's like gold nuggets. I'm like, I'm so excited when somebody says, you know, this is how I did it. Um, it as everybody asks, how, 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 right? But just to reiterate it back to you, is you started to do little things for yourself. I started to have relationships outside of the, the, that one relationship. Sounds like the first and most important thing to do. And then progressively started to do better, better for yourself, really consider yourself and take steps. And as we start to grow, you know, the, the thing that we're so merged with starts to pull to the foreground. And now we're just really, we have to look back in order to stay attached to it. And that becomes really stressful over time. Right. That, and, and I, and I think that that's the, the kind of thing that you would, in this kind of work and in, in working on yourself now at a very core level, because the mom relationship is usually the one that we have to <laughs> wait till, you know, you got a lot of priming, right? You had a lot of work and a lot of peeling back, but it's a very important relationship to start to, to understand because it has so much implication on your self-worth, who, who you implicitly think you are. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think I forgot that in that relationship. I um, genuinely felt like I was um, we, that we were one person that me and my partner had become one entity instead of two different people with different interests. Um, we both forgot that along the way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's a, that shared mind effect when two codependent people can come together. It, it really is uh, that, that one's like a super club. So <laughs> that's what I'm saying, you know, but that's, what's required is at some point you recognize something, even though you were in this situation that I, I can't, I can't do this. And you are able to make that break with mom. And, and as we're kind of like rounding this out and bringing it together is that she is somebody who has more power over you. 
And that's why this process is so important because you need to grow emotionally stronger, more adept, even though you have a lot of language experience in this area, there's still something more that seems to need to be reorganized as far as, you know, or faced as far as these feelings are concerned, because the stating of the boundary, not the need for the barrier at some point needs to occur. Mm-hmm. And so I, I wonder what you think would happen if you said, mom, I know that you've been sending me these posts like of the houses, but I'm, you know, this is the place that I'm living in. I, I don't know if I'm comfortable with you moving here. Yeah. Um, I, I've noticed the need to have that conversation. And again, the parallel with my ex would be, you know, I, uh, I didn't think I could ever love anyone as much as I love this person. And I still sometimes think that I might not love anyone as much as I love that person, but it was so destructive in what it was. Um, and I had to detach and say, you know, I'm not responsible for how he reacts. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I know that that's what needs to happen with my mother. Um, and I guess the difference is, you know, I don't speak to my ex anymore. And, you know, I, I hope that I would still have my mother in my life. If, you know, I, I think the worry is that, um, that I might say something to set a boundary that would completely like shatter her world and destroy, you know, her emotionally. Mm. Right. So this is the kind of responsibility that you contain psychologically as if, and this is pretty heavy to have somebody's psyche, they're, they're, or they're organized within your mind. And if you go and take a, you know, maybe a, whatever, throw a a rock at at the glass house that it will become fragmented and, and that she will become disorganized, that she will lose it, that she will become, you know, feel like a massive loss. And I'm starting to kind of uh, associate to what you said about your grandmother and what you witnessed during that time as something that might have left a very strong imprint on why you can't. And doing this is because of what you witnessed there. Yeah. However, and this is the, the, the golden egg of codependency, we can't hold other people's illness. We can't hold space for other people's falling apart. We can't put them back together. We can't, we can't keep ourselves in a, a place that's frozen with fear that they're going to lose it because it's us, because we're, we're the ones. And this is, this is another thing that starts to become imbalanced that I think is projected into us from the more narcissistic aspects of a parent is you're the one that holds this. Like, oh, that's really important until it starts to become something that you can't hold anymore and say, actually, I'm, I'm drowning in this. It's very heavy. And I'm literally changing my life in order to not be, and in order to create this artificial boundary, but I got to get the boundary right up here because there needs to be this process that we can go through as far as taking up uh, again, this, this idea of mom, being somebody that you're holding together, but she, you know, and, and, and that's not, that's probably not a joke. You know what I mean? Like that's not something you just come up with. There's an overdetermination in your mind of how important that is because of how much she's, she's feeding that too. Mm-hmm. So 
I think next time we meet too, we can also continue talking about this because I think this will get the wheels turning just enough in thinking about, oh, I've had this, I know I have this good experience and I saw how I worked through and I saw all these positive ways that I dealt with that. You know, you can start to kind of reinforce some of those things, but also start to wonder, what am I doing still holding this? And, and how is this? And just sitting with it is part of the work. And I say sit with it with the padding of positivity, right? Underneath you and empathy for yourself, but have the feeling, be with it, understand the situation and all of its complexities, but really start to empathize with yourself and wonder how this is holding you back from growing as, wow, you're growing too. Yeah. And I've hung on to it for a really long time. Like you were saying, those avoidant behaviors, the escaping and the running that I was doing was, and I, I knew deep down that I was, I was just kind of prolonging the conversation that needed to happen. Um, right. But yeah. that's, that, that's this work. The conversation starts with you and really facing these fears and that process then opens the door to having a real conversation with her. But this first, this, cause this is the, this is the, the part that needs to be healed in some ways before you can speak, just like you healed before you were able to break away that last time too. So I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you so much. For and sure. I will see you very soon. Okay. Yes, thank you so much. This was lovely. Absolutely. All right. So I wanted to wrap up the session with a thought, which is what a great exposition of how broad yet personal the symbol of mother is to our society, childhood, adult lives, thought processes, and sense of self. I don't think it should be of any wonder now why so many people struggle with setting boundaries with such a grandiose conceptualization of a person. However, I clearly believe it's time to shift this paradigm and start to create healthy, balanced ways of conceptualizing our mother as people so we can evolve the bond from bondage and identification to possible connection and emotionally maturing that connection over time. So next week we'll explore more about how she still identifies with mom at the deepest levels of her self-concept, and how she might need to face ways she's even like her as she is already entering motherhood herself. Stay tuned and I hope to see you there. Goodbye for now.